0: Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents part one of his series, Tools of Prayer for America.
1: All right, praise the Lord. This morning, we're going to start a series called Tools of Prayer for America. Tools of Prayer for America. Some of you may remember when I taught this series back in August and September of 2018, but I believe there's a good number of people here that have not heard this series. I figured with the advent of the coronavirus and the societal upheaval that we're seeing in the streets and the tipping point election that's on the horizon You know, I felt strongly impressed in my spirit that it was time to preach this series again. I'm pretty sure you would all agree with me that America needs our prayers like never before. So the first thing I'm going to share with you is the dream that I had in 2018 that launched this series in the first place. After that, we'll show you what the Bible has to say about binding and loosing, why it's scriptural. And why we need to learn to pray this way, especially for America and especially now. So, the week of July 4th, 2018, Trish and I were in New Orleans visiting Alicia, our middle daughter, and her husband Josh. And during that visit, I had occasion to take an afternoon nap on their living room couch. Let me tell you how that went down. We had eaten lunch, and Josh said, I'm going back to the bedroom to take a nap. Alicia and Trish said, we're going shopping. Do you want to go with us? And I said, let me pray about that. Uh, No. And I laid down and I took a nap on their very comfortable living room couch. During that nap on the 6th of July, I had a waking dream in which there were thousands of people gathered before me on a large grassy area to celebrate the 4th of July during the week of the 4th of July. They were organized in groups of different national origins, different ethnic groups, all different types of people. But I somehow knew in my dream that they were all Christians and they were all American citizens, whether they were citizens by birth or naturalization, they were all Americans. And they were playing music, Cooking hot dogs and hamburgers, playing games and having a great time and making a lot of noise. But as I looked over this enormous crowd of people, I saw a darkness begin to grow in the sky above the people. And to my dismay, none of these Christian people seemed to be aware of what was looming over their heads. So I had this urgency in my spirit that they were celebrating much too long and they were way past the time when they needed to transition from celebration to earnest and fervent prayer for America. Looking back, I realize now that the Lord was showing me that dark times were ahead for America. And the church of America needed to rise up and pray against the evil that was coming our way in the not-too-distant future. I am now convinced that the darkness I saw in July of 2018 has been brewing ever since and has begun to manifest here in 2020. So getting back to the dream, I knew that my assignment was to communicate to this large and diverse body of believers that they desperately needed to pray for America. And as I prepared to do that, someone to my right handed me a large toolbox. And when I say large, it was four or five times larger than any toolbox I've ever seen, it was painted gray and it weighed about four or 500 pounds. Now, evidently, in dreams, you're stronger than you are in natural life. I was able to hold up this enormous toolbox. And I knew in my spirit that the person to my right that had given me the toolbox knew everything there was to know about America and everything there was to know about the looming darkness. I believe it was the Lord. And I know that he was giving me the toolbox so that I could share the tools with the people and help them learn to pray more powerfully and more effectively for America. So I took the toolbox and balanced it on a long, narrow bench that somehow was just there. And at first I put the toolbox on there parallel to this narrow bench. And I knew as soon as I opened that thing up, it was going to go unstable and fall down. So what I ended up doing is I took the toolbox and I turned it perpendicular, put it near the top of this long, narrow bench, forming a cross but also allowing me to open the toolbox so the people before me could see the tools that were available to them. I think that was very symbolic. We'll talk about that here in just a minute. So once it was balanced and I knew it wouldn't fall over, I opened up the toolbox and made the tools available to the thousands that were before me, and I began to say these words. Let us use these tools to honor our forefathers and let us pray for America. America needs our prayers. But unfortunately, they were making so much noise in their celebration, they could not hear what I was saying. So I began to shout to each group, one by one, hold it down, cut off your music, I've got something to say. And I went from group to group to group to group, and they all successively shut down their music. I got to this last group. It was a group of Chinese, and even though they were Americans, they had not learned the language very well, and they could not understand what I was saying, partly because of the noise, but also because they didn't speak English real well. So I finally gave them the cut sign, cut your music, and they understood that. And they cut the music and there was total silence. Now, I don't know why it didn't occur to me in the dream to do that to the rest of them because they weren't hearing me holler because of their music. But at any rate, I got them all to shut off their music and I got all their attention and I began to speak to them. I said, let us pray for our nation and let us remember the prayers of our forefathers, especially the prayers of President Abraham Lincoln. And then abruptly, I woke up. I woke up. It was a short dream, but a very powerful dream, and I have not forgotten a single detail of it in over two years. When I woke up from the dream, I felt compelled to do two things. Number one, find the prayers of Lincoln. Number two, teach believers to use the tools of prayer available to them so that they could pray effectively and powerfully for America. After looking for quite a while for a specific prayer that Abraham Lincoln prayed, I couldn't find anything that seemed to fit. It finally dawned on me. That the dream was all about a call to prayer. So I began to look and see if there was a call to prayer that Abraham Lincoln issued in his day. And lo and behold, on April 30th, 1863, President Lincoln issued a national call to pray for the nation in the midst of a bloody civil war. Very significantly, this proclamation was made four months, four months after the Emancipation Proclamation of January 1st, 1863, which legally set three and a half million slaves in America free. But after he made that Emancipation Proclamation, the Civil War heated up even more. And they weren't about to let go of their slaves without a fight. So this is the environment. This is the time in which Lincoln, I believe, felt completely overwhelmed. And he issued a national call to prayer because America needed prayer. Amen. It's a very powerful proclamation. I encourage you to read it. I'm not going to read it to you this morning because it's fairly lengthy, but I will post it on the website so you can download it and read it for yourself. This proclamation was addressed to a divided nation. Torn because of the curse of slavery and the resulting civil war that pitted brother against brother. It's an amazing call to prayer. And very timely for us to reflect upon and apply to the America of 2020. So how and why is this call to prayer issued over 157 years ago? How is it relevant to the America of 2020? Well, once again, we find ourselves a divided nation. And even more so than the last time I shared this dream we find ourselves in the midst of what many people call another civil war, pitting brother against brother, Americans against Americans. And it ought not to be so. So just like Lincoln issued a call to prayer for the America of 1863, our leaders today need to issue a call to prayer for the America of 2020 and beyond. Isn't that right? Listen, in order to push back the darkness that threatens to overtake our nation, we need to pray that righteousness, truth, and justice not only prevail, but reign in our nation. Amen? In every sphere of influence, in every state, in every city, in every election, local, state, or federal. So I'm adding my voice to the rising chorus of leaders who are calling on American Christians to set aside their differences and pray for America like never before. Let us answer the call to pray for America and let us use every tool that the Lord has made available to us so that we can pray more powerfully and more effectively. Amen. I don't think we need to leave any tool in that toolbox. If you remember, I had to balance the toolbox perpendicular to and on top of this narrow bench in such a way that it formed a cross. The Lord told me what that meant was this. All of the tools we're going to study and learn to use in this series have to be balanced upon or have to be derived from and anchored in the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. So here are some of the tools that the Lord showed me that were in our toolbox. And we need to use to pray more effectively and more powerfully for America. I don't mind sounding like a broken record when I say that. Number one, binding and loosing, which we're going to cover today. Find that in Matthew sixteen nineteen. Number two, prayer of agreement. Matthew 18, 19. Number 3, the name of Jesus, Acts 16:18. Number 4, the blood of Jesus, Hebrews 10:19. Number 5, fasting and prayer, Matthew 17:21. And number 6, spirit-led prayer, Ephesians 6:18. Amen. And what we're going to do, we're going to use this list here as an outline as we once again begin this series called Tools of Prayer for America. And even though we're going to study these tools individually, I want you to know that many times in prayer, in practical use, these tools are used in tandem, in combination one with the other. Amen. These tools are going to be familiar to some of us, but not to all of us. So we need to put them out there, just like the Lord instructed me to do, so people can use them to strengthen their prayer lives. You can use them to pray for yourselves, for your family, your friends, your relatives, your fellow saints, your pastors, your leaders, and your church. Faith Life Fellowship needs your prayers, amen. For those listening by podcast, it's your church, wherever you're plugged in, amen. But as we go through these tools, I've been given a mandate from the Lord to teach you how to specifically apply them so you can answer the call to pray for America. All right, let's get into binding and loosing. The prayer of binding and loosing. I know it may seem a bit odd to start with binding and loosing, and I say that because. There are many Christians who don't believe they have authority to bind and loose. And there are a lot of Christians that don't even know about binding and loosing. And some that rarely pray in this way. Isn't that right? But we're going to start with it because the Lord told me to start with binding and loosing. Amen. That's all the reason I need. Amen. Binding and loosing has been misunderstood, misapplied and misused, but it doesn't mean it's not a legitimate tool of prayer as long as we follow the scriptural pattern. Let's begin with Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 and 19. I'm going to be reading it in the English Standard Version. Matthew 16, 18, and 19. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock... I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, before I read any further, I want to give you a little bit of background on this passage. The verses prior show that Jesus posed a question to his 12 disciples. He said, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to Peter, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for it was not flesh and blood that revealed this to you, but my father, which is in heaven. Amen. It was supernaturally revealed to Peter. It was a rock of revelation that he received. Then Jesus said, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, what rock? The rock that Jesus Christ is king. He is Lord. He is the son of the living God. Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's pretty plain, isn't it? There are people that read this and have no idea what that's talking about. So let me break it down for you. Some of the key words that are used in this passage here. First of all, keys. Keys of the kingdom. The Greek word there implies that the keeper of the key has the power to open or shut. And it's used figuratively throughout the New Testament to denote power and authority. The man who's got the key has the power. And the authority to use it. Amen. The word bind comes from a Greek word that means to bind, to tie, or fasten. To fasten with chains. To throw in chains. To put under obligation. To forbid, prohibit, to declare to be illicit or illegal. Isn't that interesting? The word loose means to loosen anything that is bound or fastened in any way to release from obligation, the exact opposite of binding. Now there's a couple of excellent examples in the New Testament that show you both binding and loosing, amen? The first one is in Luke thirteen sixteen. you don't have to turn there, I'll tell you what it's about. In Luke chapter 13, verse 16, it's the story of the woman. She had demonically inspired severe arthritis, so she was bowed over for 18 years, and the Bible says she was not able to lift herself up. She came into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and Jesus said this about her He said, Ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, what does that mean? It means she has a covenant with God. That included healing. Ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, be loosed from her infirmity on the Sabbath day? So he said, ought not this woman who Satan hath bound, there's that same Greek word, bound, be loosed in Jesus' name? Amen? So you got the same concept of binding and loosing right there in one example. Another excellent example is John eleven forty four. Again, you don't have to turn there. I'll tell you what it's all about. This is when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Remember, he had been dead for four days. And Jesus said, tell him to roll away the stone. And they said, don't do that. He stinks pretty rotten by now. But you know the story. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible says Lazarus came forth Bound in grave clothes. They were grave cloths that wrapped around him like a mummy. And Jesus said, loose him and let him go. So again, you get a very vivid picture of binding and loosing. Amen. Everybody follow those examples. All right. So let's go back to Matthew 16, verse 19 in the Amplified Classic Version. And there's some things we can learn, particularly when it comes to things that are lawful and unlawful, which the scripture alluded to earlier. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind, declare to be improper and unlawful on earth must be what is already bound in heaven. And whatever you loose, declare lawful on earth must be what is already loosed in heaven. I love that. I love how the Amplified ties this whole concept of binding and loosing to the finished work of the cross. Well, Brother Scott, how does it do that? Well, follow my logic here. The Word of God says it is finished. Isn't that right? What was bought for us through the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ is already settled in heaven. Amen? All we're doing when we pray the prayer of binding and loosing is enforcing over the devil and his band of outlaws what has already been legally or lawfully given to us based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. He has no right to keep it from you, so sometimes you have to take it from him by force. In Matthew eleven twelve, 12, Jesus said from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, but the violent take it by force. Sometimes the devil is illegally holding on to what belongs to you and you have to go in and take it from him. You got to know what belongs to you. You got to know what was bought for you in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen. The example I always use is this. Let's say you bought a house sight unseen. You lived in California and you moved to North Carolina to take possession of your house. But it took a couple of months for you to get there. You arrived with the title deed in your hand only to find out that a group of squatters had moved into your house. You have the legal right now because that thing belongs to you. That house belongs to you. You have the title deed. You can go in there and get the law to bind these people and have them forcibly removed from your house. Sometimes the devil will hold on to what belongs to you, and you have to yank it out of his hands. And you've got to know what belongs to you if you're going to do that. Amen? You've got to know what it means to bind and loose. All right, let's talk about the origins of the keys of the kingdom. Isaiah 22, verse 20 through 22. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Isaiah 22, 20 to 22. I want you to put on your Bible thinking caps. There's a little bit of thought that is required in what I'm about to show you. Just stay with me. I want to tell you about this passage. I'll give you the background so that it's more understandable as we read through it. In this passage, Isaiah, the prophet, is prophesying to a man by the name of Shebna. Shebna was the courtier of King Hezekiah. That's like the prime minister, the number two in command. Shebna was over all of Hezekiah's kingdom and all of Hezekiah's house, kind of like Joseph was when he was prime minister of Egypt under Pharaoh, second in command over everything in the nation. This was Shebna, but Shebna used his position to enrich himself. He didn't care about the people. He didn't care about the kingdom. So God replaced him, and Isaiah is prophesying to him that we have found a man that is more righteous than you, and we're taking your position and your authority, and we're giving it to him. All right. Verse 20. In that day, I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe and will bind your sash on him and will commit your authority to his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. Amen. These courtiers, I read somewhere, they actually were given an oversized key that really didn't go to anything, but it was a symbol of their authority. The man who had the key was the man that could open and nobody could shut or shut and nobody could open. He had all authority. He had all power. A little diversion here. Back in the 90s when I was flying the A-10 Thunderbolt fighter jet, I was invited to fly a jet to Mina, Arkansas, little hick town in the Ozarks of Arkansas with only a 5,000-foot runway. We had to get a waiver for me to fly into a runway that short. And so I was the first ever jet fighter aircraft to land at Mina Airport. And so I landed, I shut the engines down, I climbed down from the cockpit, and the mayor of the city met me, and he gave me the key to the city of (laughs) Mena. Same kind of deal, although I don't think I had all authority over the city of Mena. You get the picture, though. The man with the key is the man with the authority. Amen. Amen. So, as I said, Eliakim replaced the self-serving traitor Shebna as the courtier of the kingdom of Judah under King Hezekiah, as was prophesied by Isaiah in the passage we just read. So, listen to me. Eliakim had authority under Hezekiah over all his house, over all his kingdom. So, if you consider Hezekiah to be a type of the father then consider that Eliakim is a type of Jesus Christ to whom the Father has given all power and all authority over the kingdom of God. Do you see that? And this is borne out in Revelation 3-7. And I'm going to read it in the English Standard Version. Revelation 3-7. These are the words of Jesus as He dictates the letter to the seven churches of Asia Minor to the Apostle John. Listen what Jesus said. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One, the true one. That's me, Jesus Christ, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Doesn't that sound familiar? Almost verbatim what you read in the passage from Isaiah. I'm telling you again, the one who has the keys, has all authority, has all power. And Jesus Christ inherited those keys by conquest. He's the one with the keys to death, hell, and the grave. He said, now I've given those keys to you to use for the kingdom of God. Amen. You don't need to hang those keys on a nail on your wall. You need to put them on your your tool belt. You know, like the janitor's got the little thing that zips up and down. Y'all know what I'm talking about? <laughs> stink, you know. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Put the keys where you can get to them so you can use them. Amen. So listen, clearly the key of David is a messianic type that Isaiah used to point to the greater son of David, Jesus Christ, who would one day Hold the keys of the kingdom of heaven, a symbol of the absolute authority that would be given unto him by the Father God. And then he turned around, as I've said already, and he gave those keys to us. Matthew 28, 18 in the English Standard Version. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then after he gave the great commission there in Matthew 28 and also in Mark 16, he turned around and he delegated that authority to the church, to you and me. He gave us the keys to death, hell and the grave. So let us use them wisely and let us use them to bind and loose in Jesus name. You know, back there in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom and the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. It's kind of a curious phrase. You know, your first impression is these gates are flying through the air and you've got to duck so they don't hit you. Or you've got to stand there with a shield so it doesn't bowl you over. That's not correct. Gates are defensive in nature. The gates of hell shall not prevail against us because we got the key! We can open up the gates and set the captives free! A little bit different way of looking at it, amen? Glory to God, I got excited on that. We also have the keys that can be used to stop the attack of the enemy against our nation. Whether it's a plot to undermine our government, to erode our righteousness as a nation. Or whether it's an outright attack against our people, our infrastructure, our police, our first responders, our military. Regardless of which case it is, we can use our authority to bind and cancel the attacks of the enemy. And loose the angels of heaven to wage warfare on our behalf, amen. And behalf of our nation, Psalm 103, verse 20 and 21. English Standard Version. Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Amen. Listen, when you bind the devil, you can loose the angels of heaven to enforce what you've already bound. I know some people get a little nervous about that. But notice the The writer of the psalm here, he says, bless the Lord, O ye his angels. He's given them an assignment. Bless the Lord. Why? Earlier in the verse, he says, bless the Lord, O my soul and all that is within me. And then later in the psalm, he says, "Okay, now, angels, you get in on the action, too. Another thing that you need to know, anytime you speak the word of God, you are launching angels because the verse says they obey the voice of his word. So bind the enemy and then just unleash a barrage of the Word of God, and that will loose angels, amen, that go forth and enforce what you just bound. I hope everybody's following me. Amen. Amen. So at this point, I'd like to wrap things up by sharing an example of the prayer of binding and loosing, which I used when I was praying for America in August and September of 2014. That's a little bit wild. But listen, it happened. and I'm going to share it. During that season, in the summer, and the fall of 2014, I found myself praying a lot for America. I found myself praying a lot in tongues, specifically for the safety of America and her citizens. And after years of letting this kind of prayer go dormant in my life, as I prayed in the Spirit... As I prayed spirit led prayers, I felt myself slipping into binding and loosened for the first time in many, many years. And to be honest with you, I thought this is old school. I'm not even sure I understand what this means. And here I am binding and loosening in Jesus name. Still, I kept finding myself nudged by the Holy Spirit to pray in this way. A typical prayer for me would go something like this. Lord, I I bind the secret plans of the enemy against America in Jesus' name. And I ask you to loose the angels of God to cancel any destructive assignments against our people, our churches, our leaders, and our infrastructure. I would pray like that. It would just rise up out of me. This illustrates that many times if you're praying spirit-led prayers, it will lead you into binding and loosing by the Spirit. Listen, I don't bind and loose in the natural, in my own self. I don't dare go there with binding and loosing unless I can do so inspired by the Holy Ghost. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because binding and loosen is a serious deal. It's not something you should do at the drive through at uh, Wendy's, you know. Oh, by the way, Lord, I bind and, and I loose this and No, 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 it has to be motivated by and inspired by the Holy Spirit or you'll be off target. So after several weeks of praying like this, I had a dream. In the dream, I snuck into enemy headquarters as a spy. And was actively spying out the plans of the enemy against our nation and against our church. It was an awesome dream. It was like I was a super secret agent. Remember that phrase. Soon after I entered the headquarters building, my presence was detected by one of the enemy officers. And I had to sneak out the back way and head to friendly territory. As soon as I got to what I consider to be a safe distance from this enemy headquarters, the Lord spoke to me in an audible voice in my dream. He said, yes, they're on to you. They know you're here. But there's nothing they can do to stop you. Don't stop praying in this way. I heard that audibly from the Lord in my dream. When I woke up from the dream, I knew that the Lord was referring to spirit-led prayers that led to binding and loosing For America. Fast forward a week or so to two days before 9-11-2014. As I was praying, I felt specifically led to pray for the safety of U.S. senators and congressmen. It just come up out of my spirit. Out of nowhere. Wasn't even thinking about it. It just came up out of my spirit. And I said, Lord, I don't care if they're Republican or Democrat. If they're U.S. senators and congressmen, they're Americans. And I'm praying for their safety. When I prayed that, I saw an image in my mind's eye. Listen, something seen in the mind's eye is no less supernatural than an open vision. If it was generated by the Holy Spirit. So I'm praying for U.S. congressmen and senators. And all of a sudden I see this image of a man with a suit and a vest on. It was a black man. And I discerned in the spirit that he was a congressman somewhere. I just didn't know what state or what district he represented. But I knew I was praying for this man. Then my prayers took a wild twist, and I heard myself praying this. In Jesus' name, I bind any attacks of the enemy against our U.S. senators and congressmen, and I command any bombs that might be fashioned against them to either prematurely detonate or fail to ignite. I prayed that, and I have no idea where it came from but the Spirit. Father, I ask you to loose the angels of heaven to wage warfare on their behalf and to protect them from physical harm. I cancel the assignments of the enemy against them. This is what came out of my spirit. So early in the morning of 9/11, 2 days later, I got up at 3:30. I just had this anticipation that I needed to check the news. So I went to my computer in my study and I pulled up the first online article that I could find. And there was a report from the FBI. Listen to this the FBI discovered that someone had hurled two firebombs at the windows of the offices of Congressman Emanuel Cleaver of Missouri, who was at that time the chairman of the Black Congressional Caucus. Woo. The report said with fuses lit, the story read, the bombs had failed to penetrate the window. They smashed on the concrete below and failed to ignite verbatim what I had prayed two days before. And I knew it was the congressman I had prayed for two nights before. Amen. I remember being stunned for two reasons number one I was absolutely stunned I began to shake at the revelation of the power of binding and loosing the effect that my prayers had on something I knew nothing about and number two I was struck with this notion why have I not been praying like this more often A few weeks later, I had another dream about enemy headquarters. Only this time, my assignment was to sneak into the control room and destroy it. I mean, I was dressed in black. I had black camo on. It was totally cool. It was like Tom Cruise in one of the Mission Impossible movies. (laughs) It was actually fun. I made my way into the enemy headquarters, went up two or three flights of stairs, found the control room. As I walked through the door, I saw rows and rows of desks, and each desk had plaques on them. And on these plaques were the names of people, places, or organizations. I knew in my spirit these were assignment desks. These were destructive assignments against people, places, and organizations in the United States of America. So after you go through all these rows of desks, you get to the front of this room and there's just a wall that had hundreds of computer servers stuck into the wall. And so what I did is I start pulling and yanking those computer servers out. I started yanking them out, pulling the wire bundles loose, and then I would dash these computer servers on the floor into pieces. I mean, I was just ransacking the place. I was wrecking the place. And as I started dashing these servers one by one, I looked over my shoulder at the assignment desks, and on the plaques. The names started disappearing. Started vanishing. And I realized that my prayers were canceling destructive assignments against people, places and organizations in the United States of America. Didn't mean to get so emotional. This will get me out of it. Then came the funny part. As I'm wrecking the place and doing so in fine fashion, two enemy soldiers entered the room from the door that I came through. And I looked and I saw them over my shoulder, but I just kept working. I just kept destroying. And this is what they said. He thinks he's some kind of super secret agent. And then I heard the audible voice of the Lord again. He said, yeah, they know what you're up to. But they can't do anything to stop you. Don't stop praying in this way. And then I woke up. When I woke up. I had the knowledge that I had progressed from spying out the plans of the enemy through my prayers to actively canceling destructive assignments against America, against her people, her leaders and her infrastructure. And at least one of those canceled assignments had been revealed to me by the spirit, and that was the attempted firebombing of Congressman Cleaver's offices in Missouri. So, please, if you haven't heard anything else I've said this morning, please don't underestimate the power of the prayer of binding and loosing. We have authority to use the keys of the kingdom to bind and loose in Jesus' name. We can use that authority to absolutely plunder the plans and the attacks of the enemy against our nation. It's powerful and effective, and we need to get back to this kind of praying. Stay tuned next week as we continue our series on Tools of Prayer for America. Amen? Amen.
0: We hope you enjoyed part one of Dr. Forrest's message, Tools of Prayer for America. If you are blessed by this message and would like to donate to our ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at gofaithlife.com. If you're in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 9.45 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.